When you hear the greatest movie twists of all time, you've probably heard The Sixth Sense mentioned frequently with its iconic line, I see dead people. With his name almost becoming synonymous with the twist ending, writer and director M. Night Shyamalan's filmography seemed to take on the uphill challenge of having each of his following movies be filled with the most iconic twists of all time. And even when he may not have succeeded at that challenge, Shyamalan's divisive work has always had a passionate fandom that has seen him dip as low as his take on Avatar with The Last Airbender, to his resurgence and comeback with films like The Visit and Split. With his latest mind-bending thriller old hitting cinemas on July 22nd, courtesy of Universal Pictures, I wanted to go back and look at Shyamalan's horror thriller-based work that I enjoyed and that I think is worth re-watching on this episode of the Monthly Movie Marathon. And one person who is definitely not dead and very alive at the moment is my guest today, Peter Walkton from Walkton Entertainment. Mate, thank you so much for coming on today. Mate, it's my pleasure. It's an honor to be here. I f- I'm feeling very, very spoilt to be on your podcast, mate. I feel like I'm chatting with a celebrity today. Oh, mate, no, no. It's the, the feeling is mutual there because uh, <laughs> obviously we both know each other through the Brisbane Movie Review uh, absolutely scene I guess you could call it the, the community through there and that's how we met but uh so for those who don't follow you they should at walked in entertainment on Instagram Twitter Facebook absolutely there we go got them all covered but you also run your own review website yep. uh walked in entertainment.com so when when did you first start getting into to reviewing and writing the reviews and smashing the social media side of it like you're doing at the moment. Look, absolutely. So I I created what started as a Facebook page only. Um, I wasn't always known as Walked In Entertainment. Once upon a time, I was known as Finesse Movie Reviews. And all that page was about was just to write some paragraphs and give a film score. And um, that's where it began, my, my journey of just writing reviews. And all I was trying to do is just share my heart with friends and family and it grew into something far bigger. Um, and as the years went by, I collected more reviews. I'd, I'd like to think that I, you know, was improving every time I wrote something. Um, you read one of your first reviews and you're like, God, that's just disgraceful. Delete it. Um, but, you know, eventually I had some name changes and a few other developments. And um, it wasn't until 2019 that I really took the leap and change the name to Walked In Entertainment. I created a website. Um, For those of you that created a website, you'll know from experience that that's a heartache. It's a big job. Um, I've got gray hairs from it. And um, look, it's just really grown from there. And I've met people, uh, great people like yourself and people in the industry and distributors. Um, You know, it's been a real honor to sort of see what's come from um, one man's passion and hobby and it's just developing into something far greater so some people play golf for me it's <laughs> it's writing a review with a glass of red and watching great films and talking Ooh. to people and meeting people um so that's where i'm currently at at the moment yeah i i second that sentiment there i feel like all the best reviews i've ever written are either with a, a beer in hand or a glass of red in hand for some reason it just Absolutely. seems to to loosen you up a little bit more and you're a little less Absolutely. less critical of your work and a little it just inebriated. flows naturally from you. It Absolutely. flows very naturally, very naturally. Mate, that's that's a f- fantastic way to kick it off because I feel like, 
akin to the director who we're going to be talking about today, who started off as, you know, a, a very passionate filmmaker and as yourself and, and I'm sure many of the guys listening out there who are passionate reviewers as well, just start off as a hobby. You would sort of just, you know, write a few reviews. We have fun. My Mine was the same. I was like, I just watched too many movies. So I was like, I yeah. should probably do something productive with it. Why not? I mean, that's and, the thing. Why not share it with somebody else? And, yeah. you know, I talk about golf jokingly, but there are people out there that love golf so much. And I just say to them, why don't you share what you've experienced? And it's amazing what followers you get, whether it's about golf, cars, mm. films, music, vinyl, whatever. We and live in so, an incredible age for that too. Part of that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really great. Awesome. Well, we, we've teased it a little bit about the filmmaker who we're talking about today. And in the last episode, we mentioned we'll be talking about M. Night Shyamalan today. Yes. A, who's usually a pretty well-renowned director, sometimes quite divisive, as we'll discuss. But we're yes. doing this in the lead up to his new movie coming out, Old, which hits yes. Australian cinemas July 22. Uh, he's sort of gone back to his, well, he hasn't really gone back, but he's kept in line with his, his thriller-esque sort of vibe and very quirky, weird sort of scenarios with that one there. But mm. so I figured it'd be fitting today to talk about him as a filmmaker, but also talk about his more well-received horror slash thriller films, because he's had a few dead ringers there. And he's obviously also famous for the East Rail series with Unbreakable and um, Split and Glass. So yes. I didn't want to talk about those ones because they, they sort of stand on their own as their own little series. So today we're going to talk mm-hmm. about The Sixth Sense, Signs, yes. The Village, and The Visit, which I think really? is horror, thriller-esque sort of, sort of movies. I didn't put The Happening in there because I think it's just too easy to actually meme that sort of movie and not really... What about, what about Nick, The Last Airbender? I mean, some people are going to say that's a horror movie in itself. That is terrifying. That movie is <laughs> horrifying to watch. And I don't think, I don't think I'd want to subdue you to that. Uh, I again, to watch it once. <laughs> I tried to watch it once, and my wife and I could not finish it. We gave up. You watched uh, it at home, at least. The oh, Sorry? yeah. I was gonna say you watched it at home, at least, so you didn't actually go to the movies to see that's it. Right. Or, yeah, that's right. I was in my own home, but we just looked at each other and we just like, yeah, I love M Night, but I, I had to give up. I couldn't finish it. It was so horrific. That's but, a... uh, but that's not the horror film we're talking about today. But that is no. one horror movie of his that he has done. That's yeah, that is a tough, tough one to sit through. And then like I said, the things like the happening, I didn't really, I've seen that enough times. I didn't really sit through that again. Lady yeah. in the Water, I teetered with because as yeah. uh, one of the talking points I want to discuss is, is sort of about where his careers may have rollercoaster dipped a little bit. But I think Lady yeah. in the Water sort of sits in that, that crevice there. But those are the yeah. four we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we get into those movies, I really want to just sort of get an idea of where you were at with M. Night Shyamalan as a, as a, I assume, a fan of most of his movies. Do you remember yep. the first first M. Night movie you actually saw? Now, it's going to be one of these two, and I really wrestled trying to work out which one it was, but it's either Sixth Sense or yep. um, some people may not be aware of it, but before M. Night was huge with Sixth Sense, he did a movie called Wide Awake, um, okay. which I remember seeing when I worked in a video shop and it went straight to VHS. It didn't get a cinematic release that I remember. And yep. this movie has Rosie O'Donnell in it. And I, I vaguely remember That's watching that movie. And so it's got to be either that film or Sixth Sense. I'm not sure which one came first. Um, but I think I watched Wide Awake not realizing, hold up, this is done by the same guy that yeah. did Sixth Sense. Have you right. seen Wide Awake before? I haven't. No. I, and I know he did that movie and, and he did another one, I think, Praying, Praying with Anger before yes. that as well. 
Uh, And so, because I I knew I was going to make the mistake potentially today of going his first film, The Sixth Sense, which is not true. It's his third. Uh, But no, and why do I on the list now after doing a little bit of research? What did did you think of it? Did you enjoy it? Do you remember it? For Wide Awake, I did enjoy it. It's a very, it's a very different film because the short version of the premise, it's about a, a young boy who basically has no desires to go to school. He falls asleep when he's brushing his teeth. He's just a meh in life. But his grandfather passes away in the film and his grandfather was quite religious. And so this young boy begins his own quest to find God. He's basically saying, if God's real, you know, where are you? Why didn't you save my grandfather? And so this young boy goes through his own journey, looking for God, looking for proof. And look, funny enough, like Sixth Sense, there's actually a twist at the end of the film. Um, It's not a horror (laughs) film, but um, I don't know whether I'm safe to reveal these spoilers, but he does a twist that's quite heartfelt and somewhat similar but not quite to the sixth sense but it's definitely a cheaper lower budget film but it's definitely a family drama heartfelt kind of film definitely not horror so for what it's worth yes i did enjoy it i haven't seen it in a long time so it may not hold up but on vhs back in the day yeah i thought it was a nice film I'm gonna add that to the watch list now actually i'll hear my watch this weekend because that's quite yeah i'm intrigued by that Well, you know, you honestly have because that's that's for me something that draws me to M Night is those sort of he manages to fit a really sort of family like tone in all of his films. If it wasn't yeah. for some of the thematic elements of some of his movies or some of the like the horror scenes or the the bits of violence, they would ultimately be like the films that Richard Donner would have made, you know, in the eighties that ha- actually at the core have these sorts of family or religious themes throughout yeah. that sort of back the characters and give them a bit more substance. So yeah, Wide Awake's going Absol- on. The, absolutely. And it's a film that list. no matter where you are in life, it can pull on your heartstrings, that film, which is again, very different to yeah. what M. Night has done previously. So mm. it's definitely worth checking out. You can buy it on DVD um, from America, but unfortunately yeah. Australia got gypped. We don't have it available, but there you go. There's a bit of a head start, but everyone thinks Sixth Sense was M. Night's first film. It was yes. definitely his first biggest film. But yeah, 100%. First. It was his breakout. That was definitely the film that that put him on the map big time. And I guess with that, you know, that movie putting him out in the big time and then the subsequent movies that followed with things like Unbreakable and then more so, I guess, The Village uh, after that, his name sort of became synonymous with the cultural phenomenon of the twist ending. So, and you mentioned that as well with Wide Awake, that it was obviously kind of prevalent in there as well, that, that when you think twist ending, a lot of people's first thoughts go to M. Night Shyamalan, I guess, namely The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Do you think Do you think he was sort of the, because I know he wasn't the first person to do a twist ending, but do you think that's sort of in that late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of directors tried to do it. Do you think he was sort of the pioneer for that in the new millennium? He was sort of brought that back to the fold? Yes and no. What I think M. Night did is not only introduced a twist, but he introduced a twist that majority of moviegoers did not actually predict. Um, When you're watching A Sixth Sense, you're not really thinking this film firstly will have a twist. Um, And when the twist does come around, you know, I think a lot of cinema goers were very like, wow, they were taken back because they weren't expecting it. And when the the reveal was introduced, a lot of people didn't actually pick it. I mean, when you saw it, and I was going to question, maybe I'm jumping the gun here with your question, but did you get a chance to see it in cinemas? And did you, you know, what was your experience watching it for the first time? 
No, I was um, unfortunately a baby and uh, I was a child. <laughs> child when oh. that movie was out. It was because it was 90, 98, if I recall I think correctly. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, 99, sorry. 99. So I was, uh, I don't mean to offend anyone who's listening, but I was four years old when that movie came out. I'm so. not offended, but how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but so 99, I, do... I, was, I was graduating grade 12 high school and I was working yeah. in a video shop. So How if good. you're telling me you're a baby while I'm working now, I feel very old. <laughs> I, was, I was an infant. We'll go one step up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I do remember the first time I saw it and I did unfortunately know the twist before I saw oh. it. So I saw it because of the video store I worked in. Uh, the guys who I worked with were also big movie lovers and every shift they'd send me home with like five movies to watch. And I remember Sixth Sense being one of them. But what I really liked about watching Sixth Sense, even though I knew the twist going in, was how subtle M. Night sort of crafted the moments that you can go, oh, wow, no, he's actually dead and people are not interacting with him, but he's crafted it in a way that seems plausible. And I've I've got some scenes written down that we'll definitely talk about when we really break down the movie. But I, I, I remember appreciating how, how interesting his uh the construction of the film was around the twist more so than the twist itself which i mean it's pretty incredible filmmaking oh it's incredible and for for me like when i was working in the video shop um i didn't get a chance to see this in cinemas i was you know graduating from grade 12 but i remember everyone saying my goodness this movie oh my goodness the twist the twist the twist what a twist the twist the twist wow the twist and so (laughs) and this is a true story when i worked in the video shop i remember receiving a preview tape um, so for those wow. are critics yeah. and reviewers, you get screeners digitally on your computer. Back in the day, they would send <laughs> you a promo VHS cassette that had time code and screen marks on it. And that's how you would review the film. Um, Cause in the video shops, you had to work out, do I buy 30 VHS copies or yeah. hundred? And I remember when I took this VHS home to watch it for the very first time, I kid you not, it was still showing at my local cinema uh, in Queensland. So Sixth Sense had a massive theatrical run. But unfortunately for me, because everyone said, the twist, the twist, you know, there's such a good twist. I found myself looking for it. And, um, you know, while people are driving and listening to this podcast, they probably won't believe me, but I did unfortunately pick the twist um, halfway through the film because I kind of was curious to see if I could work it out. But yeah, I yeah. wished I didn't know there was a twist because I would have had probably more fun with it. Yeah. Uh, but that's where I stand. So I watched it on VHS and I fell in love with this film very easily. Yeah, and I think I think it's an easy film to fall in love with. I know there's critics out there, and not, it's not just critics as in people who, who are reviewers, but people who are cynically critical of the film who go, well, it doesn't hold up once you know the twist. And I, I definitely disagree with that I but like i said it, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll break it down we will get to it we will go. i love getting it myself it. i get very excited but before we do that uh sort of then you know he tries to replicate that success uh with a few twists and turns in other movies the village being one of them the visit being one of them as well mm-hmm. uh the happening i guess you could say kind of has a twist where it's like the plants are trying to kill us um <laughs> but i don't know if you count that which then to <laughs> me kind of asked the question was the was it on his onus then as a filmmaker for him personally, do you think that he had to try and keep one-upping the twists, which ultimately may have led to a slight, that decline we were talking about earlier, that roller coaster dip in his career, because he definitely had a string of movies there for a bit that were not critically well-received and not received well by the audience. Do you think 
maybe the the pressure of trying to consistently one up himself sort of led to that or do you think it was just uh like a batting average in in cricket or baseball you just have your bad days i do i do think there's an element of expectation that started to be developed with m night because i remember mm. watching um you know particularly when science came out which was his third yeah. you know big film out of the out of the new you know, um, creations of M night. And I remember when the science trailer came out, it said, you know, you've experienced the sixth sense and you've witnessed the, I think it was like the unbreakable or something or other. So they were promoting that this was the same guy that did sixth sense and unbreakable. And they were marketing it in a way that said, if you love those films, you will guarantee to enjoy this. And so the mindset was it's that guy that does the twists. They're always surprising. And of course, by the village and lady in the water, particularly Lady in the Water, I think a lot of people were in the cinema going, is this the same dude that did Six Sense? Yeah. Like, what the hell? It didn't have the same finesse and the hype. Um, and so I do think a little bit it, it bit him, but that's more due to marketing. Um, yes, okay. I don't think M. Night ever intended that, but I know he said in recent interviews that he understands that people want back to what he used to do more often. Um, but, you know, you do get tired of doing the same thing as a director, but it did bite him a little bit, but I think that's more marketing related, but yes, for sure. My opinion. Well, it's the, it's the double-edged sword as well. That's the thing is that you kind of want to be like, I have to make, I want to make the movie. I want to want to be the artist to tell the story I want to tell. But at the same time, this company who's funding it want a certain movie. And we see, and we see that now even more so than ever. So yep. it is a double-edged sword, definitely uh, for sure. And, and I think he's definitely on a, a resurgence now i think he's made since the visit came out because this movie before that was after earth which is probably second worst to last airbender yeah. um which is probably a statement i probably even can't say because i've actually never seen after earth i just this is based on what wow. i've read yeah i just yeah. stayed away from it um yeah. and so and then the visit came out and then he had split which was obviously incredibly well received glass yes he's done the tv show servant which i think mm. has a bit of a cult following uh and it's a very weird show and then obviously old coming out so he's sort of sticking with that still keeping his obscurities and his weird stories in there with a bit of that horror horror element let's uh let's get into it let's crack into the movies because i think that's that's what we really want to talk about which is the first film we're going to break down and chat about is the sixth sense which came out in 1999 it currently holds an 86 percent critic rating on rotten tomatoes and a 90 percent audience rating on rotten tomatoes it is his most revered film it is the film that is synonymous with the name m night Shyamalan. uh and you saw it first time vhs preview at the yep. video store <laughs> that first scene in the film the first scene we get with donnie Wahlberg as the patient who's broken into his house, into Bruce Willis's house. That has to be one of the most F- great uses of tension in a film that I've seen, because even though I know what happens at the end of that scene, that scene is so incredibly tense and well-written. The, the juxtaposition of a calm psychiatrist and Bruce Willis and a mentally ill man who has a, has a gun in yeah. Donnie Wahlberg's character is, is phenomenal. What, what that first scene, do you really think, feel like that sets the tone of the movie for you look ab- absolutely like i i rewatched the film the other night i've got it on blu-ray and yep. um you know the opening credits alone is just music and the music yeah. is very very right. eerie and the music gives me goosebumps like james newton howard who did a number of m night Shyamalan films mm. um i thought the musical score in this movie is is brilliant 
But, yeah. you know, just watching those credits, it's creepy. And you know straight away that I'm scared. I don't know why. And the opening shot has Bruce Willis's wife, you know, in the cellar. And she's, you know, you can sort of see she gets a chill. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter where you live and who you are. When you're in your garage yeah. alone or when you're in your wine cellar alone, you know, you'd rather not. You'd rather be in and out as quick as possible. I'm ah. only 40 and I don't want to be in the garage of my own. <laughs> so it's very relatable. But there's a really cool filming style with the light bulb that pops up um you know so we know straight away there's something not right and she gets a chill so we know even more she's either freezing or there's just a disturbance but you know i gotta talk about donnie Wahlberg, who you know i don't know about you but we know donnie Wahlberg probably from like the saw franchise yep. you know being that detective and if you watch the making of the sixth sense um you know when donnie Wahlberg got that part to play this crazy patient mm. he said to m knight ever so casually look i might lose a bit of weight just a little bit and m knight apparently states in his interview that he freaked out because donnie Wahlberg rocked up on set and lost 43 pounds um, Far, i mean yeah. i've never seen him so skinny and so, so gaunt he was yeah, yeah. the note yeah, the note I actually wrote down was, dude, that's Donnie Wahlberg. That's Donnie even, Wahlberg. You can't yeah. even recognize him almost. It's phenomenal. Um, but that entire scene, I mean, that is anyone, any couple's worst nightmare to have someone in your house. Yeah. And, you know, at first we don't know he has a gun, but regardless. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, he... yeah, like it's it's immediately brings the tension from 1 to 11 yeah. And you know that this film has people squeezing their, their armchairs very tightly. And it, he doesn't, when the gun's revealed, M. Night does not give you a lot of time to process it because he pulls the gun out, yeah. shoots Bruce Willis, and then in the next shot shoots himself. And it's like, you got you kind of step back and it's the holy shit moment. It's the, oh, wow, that that actually happened. It's the, it's the release of tension, but not in a satisfactory, like happy way. It's the tension's no. done now but two people yeah. are, are dead and that's the beginning of this movie. That's the, that's it's, the it's, it's, apex we're starting on. Absolutely brutal. And um, it also sets the tone for the film too, that, you mm. know, that anything could happen. Yep. Um, it's going to be dramatic and, and powerful, but did you also notice little minor details of this film mm. too, that um, Donnie Wahlberg's character has a bit of white pigment in his hair or lots yeah. of color in his hair. Did you notice that? And yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so there's the so it's very similar to when Bruce Willis meets Cole, the young. I'm probably jumping the gun. Haley. No, no, Willis, go for it. Yeah, he, yeah. He also has loss of hair or loss of color in his hair, which oh. is also so basically when you know as humans, if we go through a traumatic experience, um, like you have a bad car accident or you whatever it might be, um, M Night did research and apparently people can lose you know, a bit of color in their hair or have a white oh. stripe in their hair. So he added that detail to Donnie Wahlberg's character. And of course, with, you know, young Haley Joel Osment, same yeah. thing. They both have got, so there's some very little minor details you pick up when you watch it for the yeah. third or fourth time. So that's another bonus add on as well. Well, that's, that's sort of, I I feel like the, the passion and the finesse and and in this screenplay is incredible. It's he leaves so many little tidbits there for you to grab onto and as an audience member like things like I didn't even know about. I noticed the hair. That's the thing. I remember being like, yeah. oh, now you've said it. Yeah, it's there. And it's incredible the the sort of lengths he goes to. And, and it just shows how good of a filmmaker or at least how good of a, a story creator M. Night Shyamalan is. And I think I think he doesn't get a lot of praise for that because his movies are weird. He has a very significant style. I remember one of my notes I wrote down, I don't think it was in Sixth Sense, I think it was more in The Village, 
is that he, I, I, a kid, like his writing style for me is akin to like Tarantino or Kevin Smith. They're not the same stylistically, but they're all their own separate, unique voice. You watch a Tarantino film, you know, the characters are talking Tarantino dialogue. Same with Kevin Smith. It's his realistic Kevin Smith dialogue. I feel the exact same with M. Night Shyamalan. I feel like I'm watching M. Night Shyamalan characters and people usually just go, this is weird. It doesn't feel right. And I feel like that quirkiness and that absurdity is the whole point. It, it builds that whole world. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely creating a lot of films that are very different and unique mm. to anything we've ever seen. The only the only director I personally would ever compare M. Night to um, with similarities with the beats and pacing would mm. be Alfred Hitchcock, um, yeah. who was a very well-known horror director. And, and even, you know, he also experimented with a few different type of films that weren't always well-received. But, you know, M. Night's delivering something very similar to that. And mm. it hasn't always worked, but that's the only director I can sort of compare. But to M. Night's credit, he really is standing on his own feet and taking risks and delivering a lot of new things. Yeah. Um, and even with Sixth Sense, you know, we've all seen a ghost movie, but you've never yeah. seen a ghost movie that's also got heartfelt moments that's dramatic, horrific, you know, so many different themes crammed into one yeah. um, as well. It's a, uh, mate. We, we're really talking this movie up because it is genuinely, genuinely that great. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed, one of the scenes I really enjoyed was the mind reading game that Bruce Willis plays with Cole. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and even another little tidbit at the beginning of that scene is great is that he walks in and they're both sitting there, Bruce Willis and, and Cole's mum played by Tony Collette. And they're not, they're not speaking to each other. But the first time you watch that, you're not even thinking that. You're not even like, oh, yep. they're in the room together. Visually, I can see them together. And then that whole mind reading game is perfect because it sort of in one scene basically takes exposition. So we learn a lot about Cole's character, but through a very interesting creative sort of medium. It's not just a, it's not just a exposition dump of Cole being like, and this happened to me. And then this happened to me. And then this happened to me like throughout Mm -hmm. his own monologue. It's a very good back and forth where we kind of establish Cole's character, but also establish the relationship dynamic between himself and, and Bruce Willis's character. And I think that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, without a doubt. It, it is very powerful. And it's actually, again, to, to give M. Night more credit, um, <laughs> I, when I rewatched this movie, you know, obviously Tony Collette playing the mother says to her son, hey, I'm going to be in the kitchen and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I immediately thought, well, he's up. If Cole's going to talk to himself, because obviously he's not, he's talking to a ghost. I thought yeah. to myself, wouldn't Tony Collette hear her son just randomly talking to herself. However, yeah. Yeah. what is really clever, and I rewatched this and I, I thought I was just blown away, is when you rewatch this film, you'll actually notice Bruce Willis is the only one that's doing the talking to start this conversation off. Yeah. And it's not until, you know, Bruce Willis says two to three, maybe even four lines of dialogue that Cole says one or two things. And I yeah. thought to myself, by then, the mother's probably gone off to a bedroom down, whatever it might be. She's somewhere else. So even that aspect, because if Haley Jolesman speaks instantly, I would have gone, well, hang on, mum's around the corner. Yeah. She would have been like, who are you talking to, sweetheart? <laughs> yeah. But again, to M. Night's credit, it's it's very believable that, you know, it's very acceptable. Exactly. And it's and it's just another another way to, to sort of show that the way this this story is constructed around the twist is so well done. It's I feel like a lot of people sort of go, oh, I have a really cool idea for a twist. 
and they try and write a movie around it, it doesn't work this one seems like it's just been so carefully constructed around that moment Absolutely. is that while we're speaking of that i guess as, as my favorite scene do you actually have a favorite scene or a moment in the movie that stands out for you yeah, you can look, skip ahead if, even if it's lowered down the movie oh, feel free to skip i was around. gonna say there's there's two scenes again it might be jumping the gun but obviously mm. when um cole reveals his secret yeah. um in the hospital bed that gives me goosebumps and i remember the first time watching it you know the camera zooms in the music just kicks in and you know in that moment that something massive has just occurred in this movie and um that scene always gets me it's a great performance between and we haven't really spoken much about him yet you know young no. Haley joel osmond yeah um and also very young Haley joel osmond very very like, young very Haley young joel osmond. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at Haley Joel Osmond now, wow. But, um, yeah. but that, scene, that scene always gets me and always gives me goosebumps. And of course, yeah. we'll talk about it when we get there, but definitely yeah. there's moments of the end that always grab me as well. Ah, oh, absolutely. It, it, he is so, for a young actor in that film to pull off the performance he did is incredible because you're right. He doesn't really talk. He doesn't talk that much actually throughout the whole film. He's got lines and dialogue here and there, but it's just, he manages to pull off the, scared child who has just kind of accepted his reality of seeing dead people that yeah. he you know he, he there's so so much just finesse in his performance is young Haley Joel Osmond's fantastic um this movie as well I feel like sort of put on the map this that or that absurd M. Night Shyamalan sort of humor because the joke that I find really funny is at the stage play or the school play sorry and all the parents pull their camcorders up at the same time to yes. record all the children. And it's Absolutely. such a such a good little commentary on sort of, you know, we have to have these memories and moments of our children and we're going to record them all the time. But I think it's just in a movie that's usually just full of so much tension and drama. It's a nice little so bit true. of reprieve uh, so in true. that one there. But then obviously more so than the comedic moments is this movie has genuinely genuinely creepy moments and really good moments it's almost it's like a horror film without lots of jump scares there's there's one yes. or two in there there's and there's some good ones in there but this film more so than scary feels creepy i feel yeah. i feel anyway uh yeah yeah go for it yeah oh sorry i was just going to comment and say the thing that i really love again it's very creative to build tension um, is the fact that for half of this film, and I checked the timer, it was literally halfway into the film, we didn't see any ghosts at all as a, as a yeah, wow. viewer or yeah. an audience member. So when Cole goes to sleep at night, he's just revealed that I see dead people. We're literally hitting about the halfway mark. Yeah. And it's very clever because, you know, the audience are watching this scary film. We haven't seen a single ghost and yet we're feeling it. But as yeah. soon as Cole reveals, I see dead the film flips and it says, hey, you're going to see what this kid is seeing. And what is more scary than watching a grown-up look at ghosts or, yeah. uh, you know, having a young girl in a house or a young man running around the camp and woods is yeah. having this young, you know, cute, innocent boy yeah. um, who, you know, hasn't done anything wrong. He's a good kid. Um, to, to have this young boy experience the horrific things that we are about to see, we now know, holy smack, this yeah. kid is going through some horrific things. Yeah. Um, you know, he sees a ghost that's got vomit pouring out of their mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. He tries to go to the toilet and there's someone walks past. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. That's like the one that the, got me. The fear that goes on from here on in. I mean, it's, it's talking about putting your pedal to the metal in this movie. And I think that transition 
um, is great. It becomes a different film and it's great. Uh, yeah, that's, I've never really thought of it like that as that being the halfway point. And I actually, I 100% agree with you because it, it, that switch, that flick that gets switched, or the, sorry, the mm. switch get fl- that gets flicked is, is another addition to that intensity and tension because not only now do we have this sense of unease and, and tension and creepiness building up, like I said, we get to see it now. The, the ghost in the kitchen who has the gunshot wound in his head yeah. is a great reveal because it's just someone standing in the kitchen. You go, oh, has someone broken into the house? Turns around, dude's got half his head blown off by a gun. The girl in the tent is possibly the best jump scare in the movie. That Absolutely. is a fantastic scare. Like, and, it, and it's great because it doesn't rely on a loud noise or a scary, you know how like they jump scares, they jump stuff at the screen uh. at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like th- th- that's just a perfect, she's just there. She's there in the tent. And that's a good little side story. You find out more about the girl and sort of what happened to her. Um, and then vomits just disgusting in general. So it just adds onto that, that level of creepiness, but those genuinely yeah. creepy uh, and shocking moments sort of give the film a little bit more weight and intensity because as much as I love the first half, it's, it's a bit slower. It's, it's more dialogue filled. It's establishing a lot. It's setting up a lot. And then the payoff is worth it after that, after that reveal of the I see dead people. This film basically has two reveals. At first you're wondering what's going on with this kid. Is he depressed? Is he going through something traumatic? And then you realize, no, no, there's something supernatural that this kid is seeing. So twist number one is what this kid is actually seeing. But then when he reveals what he's seeing, in some ways, he's also revealing the second twist, or at least it was yeah. for me. Yeah, absolutely. Moment. Um, that was actually the moment when he reveals, you know, they only see what they want to see. They don't know their dad. That's when I personally picked up on it. And again, if you watch the making of, the producer says, I thought we gave it away in that moment. And for me, they did. But yeah. it, it's very clever that he's, we're focusing on what this kid is experiencing. We don't really yeah. care much about what Bruce Willis is going through because this poor, innocent kid is going through so much. So much more, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like, the kid is dealing with some literal, literal demons. Yeah, in that sense. issues for Bruce Willis. Now nah, he'll get over it. But this kid seeing ghosts, you're like, wow. Yeah. Well, as, and speaking of Bruce Willis's marriage, another fantastic scene is the anniversary dinner scene, which has to be one of the smartest uses of dialogue, with yes. the one line that that the wife says at the end. So obviously Bruce Willis comes in, sits down pours his heart out, admits he hasn't been a, a, you know, he's been a distant husband lately. He's a lot's going on that he really cares about her. And she's there just as you're assuming as the audience member, just listening and sort of taking it in. And then the check comes and she signs it, says happy anniversary and walks away. And that is even without the reveal, uh, the second reveal uh, of the film, that is a powerfully dramatic scene that is a set even just then i just got a little goosebumps thinking about it like that is a very (laughs) sad sad scene in the movie but it just adds so much more substance to the background the substance of the character especially the character of bruce willis who sort of obviously still hasn't come to the terms with the fact that as we will now, I guess, reveal, he's dead. <laughs> he's yeah, gone. It's, it's very clever too, because in that scene, you'll notice Bruce Willis just walks up to his seat and he sits. He actually doesn't pull the chair out and then sits down. Oh my so goodness, again, I didn't even notice there. that. <laughs> he doesn't touch glass or cutlery. He just sits down. Um, the chair's already out a little bit for him to sit in. But yeah. it's funny, the first time you watch it, you're thinking, oh, you're he's obviously kidding. forgotten their anniversary because he's too busy yes. focused on Cole and his yeah. work and whatever. He's very distant. But then you watch oh the film later goodness. and you 
realized she's obviously going back to a restaurant they once experienced and yes. she's missing her husband and and she's just saddened. But it's funny how you can watch that scene in two different ways. Yeah. Once you've seen the film and you know the reveal and the first time you think it's something very, very different. But that yeah. detail where Bruce doesn't touch anything, again, <sighs> very, very cool and very, very clever. There is so much to pick up on the rewatch. See, I didn't even realize that. I just like the second time watching it, I was like, oh, wow, it's great how there's just she's it looks like she's sitting there just listening, but she's not. There's not a lot of there's no eye contact really made. She never looks towards Bruce Willis's direction, but I didn't even pick that up about the chair. That's yeah. ridiculous. God, I M. Memory, Night. I think from memory, there's no there's no plate or cutlery in front of Bruce Willis. I could be wrong there, but I know yeah. at the dinner table, whenever she's having dinner, there's only her plate, her, her plate cutlery. Stuff. You know, there's no meal for Brucey. Unfortunately, <laughs> he gets missed out. No dessert. Um, so that's another sort of nod as well to the situation. That's insane. Gosh, M. Night, you, mate, you've made... A basically perfect movie yeah, the way we're talking it's, about it's it. look it's very clever and it's very know, clever obviously put a lot of thought yeah um, into this movie what he wanted so yeah oh man i love it and then as as we were as you were briefly saying before as well the famous line in the film where cole reveals he says i see dead people uh isn't the the first reveal in the film and arguably isn't the main reveal it's it's a big reveal but the main reveal then is that bruce willis then finds out or discovers that he's actually been dead since the opening scene of the film. He was shot and he's died uh, and he, and he finds out that reveal and we get sort of what I like about this film is that that reveal isn't just the end of the movie, because I feel like a lot of schlocky horror could have just been like, you've been dead the whole time. And then it does like, you can cue something like the saw music or something. And then the movie ends after that. Like it's, you get, little snippets of like thing that happened throughout the film. Like it could have been a very cheap way to end, but we at least get a scene or two where Bruce Willis sort of gets to come to terms with it in a sense. And I like that. I think that's him and Cole get closure. He not necessarily gets closure because obviously he's still quite shocked that he's, he's dead, but there's a bit of closure for his character. And I really appreciate him doing that because I'm not doing that because it feels like a complete story. It feels like we've actually gone at least full circle with Bruce Willis's character in that sense. But that reveal is the twist, like the, the twist that is synonymous with M Knight's name is that you've been watching a film the whole time where the main character you're following has been dead. That's pretty cool. Like that is a very, very cool twist. It's a massive twist and another Easter egg or because again, mm. I, I, I love watching special features of a film commentaries. Yeah. Another little nod um, just again to his creativity is Bruce Willis actually is wearing um, the same outfit throughout the entire film, um, even yeah. before he gets shot. So when they're celebrating his award, he's wearing, you know, a business shirt. The only yeah. addition he's got is his trench coat, which is obviously covering the back of his shirt uh, and the yes. wound, etc. Yes. But, you know, once again, he's wearing the same outfit throughout the entire film, just taking off his jacket, and that's about it. Yeah. So, again, you know, obviously playing by the rules of M. Night, M. Night revealing the proper twist. But one of the flashbacks that you mentioned is actually yeah. that dinner scene we just spoke about. Yes. Because he reaches for the bill and the bill goes to his wife. And and it's a powerful moment where he realizes, you know, there's a reason why my door's blocked off to my attic. There's yes. a reason why yeah. my wife didn't acknowledge me. Where is my wedding ring? So we're getting all these great snippets and great little reveals. And um, the audience needed time to absorb this twist. I mean, it's huge. Um, 
if Bruce Willis was to say, I'm dead, goodbye, you know, the audience was, would be on such a high that we wouldn't yes. know what to do with ourselves. Yeah. So M. Night gives that time for us to breathe, to absorb the twist, calm down, what's going to happen next. And then we get this beautiful touching scene to sort of wrap some things up, which is yeah. again, you know, goosebump worthy. It pulls yeah. on your heartstrings. Some people were probably crying in the cinema. Um, I don't know. It's a real combination of emotions that we've just been on and it's a great way to end the film. I mean, a fantastic way to end the film. I, I think I think that's the main crux of it is that it, it is a emotionally deserved ending as well. Like it, it feels like the characters have got their got their got their comeuppance in in a sense. Like they they all have the emotional journey. They all went on the emotional journey and got that closure that they wanted. Which absolutely for me got a different a different resolution, including yes. Cole and his mother yeah. as well. And they have a beautiful moment. Yes. Before the end of the film too, which is also touching. There's a lot of good bits and pieces around the end. The Sixth Sense, hey, what a movie! That is a I love it it. Is look. It's, it's a knockout for me. Yeah, oh, I I think when I rewatched it and chucked it up on Letterbox, I think I gave it like four and a half. I think it's just so good, and I've I think I've only seen it a handful of times, maybe three or four times, including this wow. rewatch. So I think it's one I'll definitely be revisiting again sometime soon. Right. Moving on, movie number two for M. Night Shyamalan in this month's marathon. We watched Signs, the 2002 film, currently sitting at a 74% critic rating and a 67% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So still pretty reasonably well received. It seemed like the critics obviously enjoyed it a bit more than audience members did, but this this was M. Night sort of going back to that horror route making a bit more of a straightforward scary film to an extent, but still manages to have that big focus on family and that big focus on love and grief and, and all those sort of thematic elements he likes to play with through there. Uh, Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix uh, in this film, a young Abigail Breslin uh, Mm. in this film as well. It's a very, very good cast. It's a very big cast too. There is a lot of, lot of people in this movie uh, who, sort of had had big careers at the time or were just sort of starting out uh, in their careers. And it just sort of proved that Shyamalan can pull a decent cast uh, Absolutely. together for a film. And he tops it. I, I believe he tops it even more so in the next film. But um, what I, what I really enjoy about science is it's odd comedic tone. This movie was a lot funnier than I, than I remember it being, but I feel like part yeah. of it was intentional uh, and one of the scenes that sticks out to me the most is when we get a bit of buildup. We get we see that the crop circles uh, have begun forming, and they're forming on the in the cornfields of of the uh, Mel Gibson's family's ranch. And he sees the alien for the first time standing on the roof of the barn, and he assumes it's the the son of one of the other local farmers who's been messing with their crops lately. That's right. And, and yep. him and Joaquin sort of psych themselves up to go outside and Mel Gibson's kind of going, Mel Gibson, who's a former priest, by the way, yeah. <laughs> in, in this film. Uh, and they're sort of psyching themselves up and he asks, Explain that crazy. You know, curse and stuff. Want me to curse? You, you don't mean it. It's just for show. What? It won't be convincing. It doesn't sound natural when I curse. Just make noises then. Ah! I'm insane with anger! We're gonna beat your ass, bitch! 
Which is so ironic because if anyone can be angry on the screen, it's usually Mad Mel it's, himself. It's usually um, Mad Mel. So for him to play a priest is, is pretty funny and, and yet quite fitting, having done Passion of the Christ as well. Right. But I yeah. also I also enjoy that scene a lot. And I think um, you know, they're supposed to be brothers, these two leads, right? I mean, we they don't really look it, but no. when they start talking and you know, one's a bit more rebellious. Uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's character is a bit rebellious and swears yep. a little bit. And then you've got Mel Gibson who's trying to play it cool and straight. But they are a great chemistry between the two yes. of them, you know. And I, yeah. I did like their chemistry as brothers. It's great. I did too. And I, I think as, as that sort of adds to that family element that M. Night really tries to bring across in his movies that, and, and like I said, he, he does in science as well. And their chemistry is great. What Signs does that's very similar to The Sixth Sense is it's very, very patient with its build-up. Again, it focuses a lot on the characters. It builds up the story. Obviously, the main crux of the story focuses around how these crop circles have started forming all around the world. And then slowly we get the reveal of the aliens and whatnot that are, that are coming to invade Earth. But the emotional side, oh, the emotional sub-story is the fact that Mel Gibson is a grieving widow whose wife had recently died in a car accident who she was killed by by another uh, driver and he's not only dealing with that grief but he's also dealing with a crisis of faith uh as well he's renounced his his uh priesthood i guess or he's, he's no longer a father uh yep. and he's trying to trying to raise his family with the same values and morals but as he struggles with that as well which i for me is a great story in itself like I, i'm always attracted yeah. to those sorts of stories where people have have lost something or they have a crisis of faith and things like that i, I always find those characters quite interesting and i think uh m knight's very patient with the way he tells a story and, and reveals certain bits of information uh throughout I agree. And it's it's interesting too, because what makes this character so relatable is, you know, anyone that's listening, if you lose a family member or someone that's, mm. you know, close to you, um, you know, the first question we ask is why? And that's currently what Mel Gibson is mm. doing in this particular film. He's basically yeah. looking and, and doubting his beliefs and doubting what he's always hoped for, um, you know, and it's very relatable. Any one of us that go through yeah. that, we're going through the same sort of process and, and questioning life when you lose someone that's very close to you um and i think mel gibson really did a tremendous job in this film you know whenever he speaks you you really believe it and you feel his pain and you feel his grief um and it's very understanding with what he's going through you don't look at him and go well you're kind of being you know get over it dude so what no you really do sympathize with his character um as well as him carrying his brother and his children he's got a lot of responsibility and um yeah look you really do feel for this guy what he's going through and then having to deal with aliens as well my god well even on top of the aliens he's also dealing with people still treating him like he's a a father who come to him for religious advice and help and stuff and you can see that he sort of wears that burden pretty heavily because he goes he always reminds people, like, I'm not a father anymore. I don't do that anymore. Like, please leave me alone. And I think you can really juxtapose Gibson's performance, say something like Lethal Weapon, where he's an outlandish renegade cop who, you know, womanizer, a foul-mouthed, violent man <laughs> to this, which I love, by the way. I think I love him in Lethal Weapon. Absolutely. But so- he... The the absolutely re, the absolute reserved performance that he gives in this, it's very, very quiet and it's very, very... I feel like I'm, there's very few people who I think can outwardly show inward pain 
And I think yeah. Mel did that so well in this movie. Whereas Joaquin's a bit more volatilely emotional. Mel's yeah. the complete opposite of that. Mel, Mel Gibson for me, I don't know about you, but I feel like he's the kind of actor that he doesn't need to speak and you can feel, you know, we, you just yeah. mentioned about that moment that people dump on him. That's probably the, the way I'd be terming it. Like yes. he, he goes to the chemist yeah. and the girl clerk or whoever's behind the cash register says, yeah. you know, can I ask you a question? And he just says, I'm not a priest. And she goes, do you think it's wrong if I do this? Do you think it's wrong if I did that? And he yeah. just sits there. Like he just stands there and he just takes all yeah. of this verbal dump that this young girl is putting on him. And he just sort of looks down and saddened by the situation. But again, in that moment, you just really feel yeah. what he is going through. He sort of said, no, I'm not, I don't want to hear this. That's not me. He's got no choice. Yeah. And basically walks away saying to the kids, if you go to the pharmacy, avoid that girl X, Y, Z. But yeah, you know, which is a good little comedic him. moment, but there's a lot more yeah. happening with that scene as well. I yeah. think it's jumping forward a little bit, but while we're talking about Mel's performance in this film, I think it'd be, we'd be remiss not to talk about the dinner table scene where yes. they've sort of come to terms with the fact that the aliens are, are going to take over and invade and there's no hope left. And it's yep. sort of Mel's lost a bit of control. So he's like, no, we're not cooking dinner tonight. You can have whatever you want. And it's his just slow reveal of the breakdown that he finally gets to let out. He initially starts taking it out on the kids a bit. So like gets mm-hmm. angry at them for not wanting to eat the meals that they want to eat and starts taking their food. Joaquin tries to jump in a little bit and he gets pushed back. And then it's, it's yep. as soon as the son sort of realizes that, oh, this isn't anger. This is pain coming out as anger and goes up and hugs him is is an amazing scene like it is it's the scene of the movie for me i I get drawn to a lot of emotional stuff i always like the emotional stuff in movies and i think that for me is is the you you put that for the oscar reel like if you're putting him forward as best actor that's the scene you put forward for mel that that whole dinner scene is fantastic there's a lot of good moments in this film. Yeah. Um, you know, and the cast is actually really good. And, you know, like you said, very different to M. Night's previous films. But, you know, when Mel Gibson was attached to do what it seems like a, a horror movie, yeah. um, I don't know about you, but I was like, Mel Gibson in a horror movie? Take my ticket, dude. Like, yeah. Wow. That's a big, that's like saying Anthony Hopkins is doing a horror movie tomorrow or something. Do you go, well, okay, yeah. sure, I'll check it out. Um, and, well, he and did. Sure, so, actor, don't want to segue too much, but Anthony Hopkins did do. Uh, the, oh, right oh, the right in 2010. Yeah, right. It's the first actor that came <laughs> to mind. Christian Bale hasn't done a horror movie yet. There you go. There's an example. There but, go. <laughs> um, but I'm sure as an actor, he wanted to do something different and is yeah. definitely different. Hell yeah. Super different. But we'll jump back. We'll jump back a little bit because I think uh, obviously we, we love Mel in this movie. We think the storytelling is so patient. But of course, like Sixth Sense, there's some great tension and some yeah. great jump scares in the film. I love that we get glimpses of the aliens uh, mm. up until the end, sort of. It, it's a very, it, it reminded me of Godzilla 2014, where we just see bits and pieces before the full ending of the movie. Whereas, so I like that sort of, there's a little bit of mystery behind the the villain, I guess, of the film, uh, so to say. Uh, so some real creepy moments there. There's arguably two of the scariest scenes for me is the iconic scene which is the video footage of the birthday party in Mexico. Yes. Which yes. is everyone remember who's seen the movie remembers that shot. I, uh, I always seem to have an anecdote about Rhiannon with every one of these episodes, <laughs> but she's actually never seen signs before. 
and oh, she man. she didn't actually she didn't actually watch all of it. She hates horror films, which is fair. She's like, oh, I, I don't Rihanna, force her to watch horror. If you're listening, Rihanna, you're missing out. <laughs> I'll play that sound bit for her because she doesn't, <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't listen to this. She's please, sick please of me do. talking 23 more hours of the day. She doesn't have to listen to yeah. me for another hour. Um, so, but she, I was watching it and I had almost finished it. And I said, hey, you got to see this scene. Like this is the scene from Science FC. And I showed her the birthday party scene. And it got her. She jumps. Like as soon as the alien walks behind from that plant is insane. And then they replay the footage again. And it was there the whole time. Like it's so well done. Like it's not like it's just jumped out at the screen for no reason. Like it was there the whole time. We just didn't see it. Very, very clever. And, you know, it's quite interesting too, because what M Knight's doing, he's building something up. So like a sixth sense, we can't see the ghosts. We know yep. there's something not right. And it's the same with signs. You know, my one of my favorite, there's two scenes as well, when Mel Gibson is actually in the crops, in the dark. Yes. His stinking oh. flashlight switches off and he's oh. sort of banging his flashlight and then gets this glimpse of a leg. It's not even yeah. a body. It's not no. even a face. We just see a leg and it's so yeah. quick. Um, and even in that moment, it's so yeah. subtle and the music kicks in. Um, that makes my heart skip a beat. And um, I I don't know about you, but the other scene that always gets me, no matter how many times I've seen it, is when Mel Gibson grabs the sharp edge knife to look under the door. That was my Um, second one, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, beautiful moment. Um, So good. Always, without a doubt, I don't care how many times I've seen it, just the sound of the knife, the quietness of it, the creaking under the door, um, you might have a different experience. But man, that just gets me every time. No, it's the same experience. I, I praise people who do silent tension. I think they, yes. if you don't have to rely on sounds and have to rely on musical cues to make something scary, I think you're doing it very, very right. And that's, yeah. that scene is, is so good. It is so intense. And I always manage to pick the wrong moment where the jump scare <laughs> comes because I'm like, and it's now. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's not. And it's now. And it wasn't. And then it gets me I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. M. Night, you come here again. Yeah. And you hear the fingernails like landing on the tiles. And and it's interesting because, again, we've seen a leg of the alien. We've seen now the hand of the alien. We're getting getting glimpses. We're not getting the full picture, but we're getting enough to know that I should be wearing a human diaper when I watch this movie. (laughs) Um, It's giving us some great glimpses as to what this creature looks like and, um, you know, which is, again, very clever to build tension in a horror movie as well. Oh, absolutely. And and that's that's the thing. It's... It's sporadic, the tension, for sure. Like, I would definitely say this is more of a drama than a horror or a thriller or anything like that. Yes. But in that classic M. Night form, he does that very well. He does yeah. tension building and scares really well. And I guess that probably leads into my one main criticism of science, which sort of makes it not, not as great as I remember it being, is that it is incredibly, incredibly dialogue heavy. There is a yes. lot of scenes where we see people talking to each other for extended amounts of times. Mm. By the time you sort of get the point of the conversation, it still goes on a little bit more. And I know a lot of it is that patient storytelling and I definitely praise that element, but I feel like there could have been a bit of refinement here and there, definitely some of the scenes. And the one that always comes to mind for me is the second conversation I think he has with the police officer. Uh, I think she's in it a bit too much. She's not bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't think she's bad at all, but I, I feel like, we, we, I was more interested in seeing Mel Gibson have to deal with his stuff on his own rather than having her to come in and set up and be like, 
remember your wife's dead and you're sad and he goes oh yeah that's right but also help me with this thing so i feel like there's definitely moments the film that could have been refined down a little bit yeah i i do agree with you like if we're talking about six cents unbreakable signs you know three of m night's early films the signs as much as i love it it is for me the weaker out of the three um there are a lot of moments i think pretty much what you're saying there are certain moments you're like do that need to be there did we need to see joaquin phoenix pursue a career in the army you know there's a lot of like the baby monitor scene you know while it's quite impacting and powerful that moment does go on a lot as they're trying to get reception hold hands climb on the car Um, a lot of things are occurring and certain trims just could have been a little bit better so i didn't rate it as highly but i still think it's a great film and you can easily get scared watching it um, regardless of your age oh absolutely and and that's the thing it's kind of i always find that that uh juxtaposition not juxtaposition but i find that rationale always funny because i do it all the time i'm like it's the best it's like the best of his worst movies or the worst of his best movies like it's it's very it's middle of the road for me for shyamalan like i do enjoy watching this i think it has a lot of nostalgia factor too because i watched i watched it pretty soon after it came out uh i think my dad brought it home one day and i was just managed to sneak in a few i was very good at persuading my parents to let me watch things that i probably shouldn't have watched um, and that's that that's charm and smile. That's the, <laughs> and it worked on, and, I, and now it's worked in my whole life. They didn't teach me to stop doing it, so that's right. Um, it, it's one of those things where, like, uh, and that's not a comment on their parenting, like, they, they were good parents to me, but it turned out well. They're good parents, I think I'm doing all right. Uh, doing great. but I also watch signs probably way too young. Um, but and that's the thing, like, I remember, I remember being scared by the movie, and then now you know, a little bit older, and and what more of the world I understand. I appreciate now the drama aspect of it as well, which is probably what I found boring when I was young. I just want to point out a cameo in the film that I don't know if many people will care about, but I, I care about this one. The speaking of the army recruiting scene, the other grunt who's in there with Joaquin Phoenix signing up is Michael Showalter, who is of wet, hot American summer fame. He works a lot with David Wayne, and he's it's that sort of comedy that I love. He's also the director of The Big Sick. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so he's got a big comedy background. When he pops up, and I love Wet Hot American Summer. I think that's one of the funniest movies ever made. Right. Um, and he works a lot with those sort of guys who do the the uh, those David Wayne-esque comedies where it's like uh, they come together. Um, have you seen that one with uh, no, Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd? No, no I, I haven't. It's like a parody of, of romantic comedies. It's, it's quite good. Right. So when he popped up, I was like, hey, he was doing doing stuff with M. Night back in the day. And I think it was, you know, obviously riding off the coattails of that wet, hot American summer fame. That's, that's so cool. And don't <laughs> do forget, like too, the ultimate cameo in majority of these movies is M. Night himself. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't even talk about that in The Sixth Sense. I know. But yes, it well, that's up now. to talk about. This is, I would even go as far to say as this is probably less of a cameo and an actual role for, for M. Well, Night. This one, yeah, yeah, this one and Lady in the Water, he gives himself more of a more of a character and yes. memorable role. But, you know, going back to briefly what I said about yeah. similarities with Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock would also throw himself mm. into the movies that he was yes. making and they were always, oh, there he is, oh, there he is. Yeah. And M. Knight has obviously taken that concept on board um, because he is generally in every film yes. in one shape or form. And he's a prominent role in this one because he is the man who was behind the wheel of the car that killed yeah. his wife. 
Yeah. Uh, and we get a, what, even though I've, I'm probably just going to backtrack on what I said about the lengthy dialogue <laughs> scenes, the lengthy dialogue scene where, because they have a, they see each other when Mel Gibson and Joaquin and the family go out to the town for the first time in forever. That's the little mm. town that they live in. Uh, they obviously, they see M. Night Shyamalan's character there and it's a bit of an awkward staring mm. sort of moment. And then M. Night's character comes to their house, comes to their farm and have a, a lengthy discussion, which has a very interesting dynamic because ultimately M. Night's character is coming and asking him for forgiveness, not just as the widow of the woman he killed, but also as a religious figure. It's a very double, double-handed scene that I think is very well written. Yeah, it's, it is actually quite a powerful moment because, again, you know, I spoke about Mel Gibson not saying much, but, mm. you know, Mel Gibson's biting his bottom lip, he's looking away and he looks back and he's got tears in his eyes. Um, yeah. It is actually a, a really powerful moment. M. Knight, look, amazing director. Is he the best actor? Look, I've got up and down about that. But in yeah. this, I, I feel he's pretty good, um, yeah. you know, in this moment. But then to top it off, before he drives away, he sort of says, oh, by the way, there's an alien trapped in my cupboard. Watch out. Bye-bye. And that <laughs> yep, moment, you're like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, this touching <laughs> moment and drives off. And like, wait, what? What the hell? Come back. Um, <laughs> but also the moment of the car accident when we eventually get to see this tragic moment of Bruce Willis's wife who's gone through a windshield. My God. Yeah, that's it's a um, gruesome also, scene, yeah. Oh, it's it's brutal. And that scene with M. Knight and her, but also, you know, M. Knight is sitting on the pavement just in shock of mm. what's just happened. Um, you know, there's some great moments that are unforgettable for me in signs. And that they, yeah. those two definitely do stand out as well. Yeah. It's it's uh, I agree with you, mate. I, I think it's definitely it's in the upper echelon of M. Knight's work. It just has a few things here and there that it, it, that seem sometimes a little self-indulgent as a filmmaker, but I mean, mm. who, what filmmaker hasn't done that? Yeah. Wrapping, wrapping up on this film, then we get to the big, I guess, blockbustery, more Hollywood element of the end of the film where the alien is in their house. We find yeah. out it's also the alien of which Mel Gibson found in the cupboard with a knife before because he managed to cut two fingers off the, uh, the alien there. Yeah. There's a really great scene uh, or great moment in that scene with uh, the son of Mel Gibson, who was an asthmatic throughout the film, who is struggling to breathe and the alien is able to do some science fiction-esque power to help yeah. the son breathe again, but becomes volatile because he feels threatened. Uh, and then there's a great little full circle moment with the swing away uh, mm-hmm. with Joaquin Phoenix and the bat because he's a baseballer in the film. So we get some nice closure there. And then you find out that the thing that can kill the aliens is water, which to me Correct. doesn't feel like a twist. It just feels like not, a thing. Not as, a- yeah. I was going to say not as powerful as what we've seen previously. And yes. look, I don't think this is a twist that anyone can go, ah, I picked it. I think the fact of the matter is instead of like, we're focusing on signs as in crop circles, yes. but what the film's trying to say is, Hey, there are signs in life or, you know, with this family, they had yeah. signs, you know, obviously, um, you know, his wife saying swing away to Meryl, that's yep. a sign, yes. you know, the young kid having asthma and then not being able to breathe up whatever the alien spraying over the kid's yes. nose. Yep. That's a sign, the water, you know, look out for signs, whatever. And as a religious man, um, these are things that he could embrace. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe God was looking out for him, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But that's really the reveal is that look out for signs and signs are what, you know, whatever you want to believe, but it's obviously signs for this family that saved them. Um, I do agree that water seems a bit 
you know, not as <laughs> impacting to think that's what killed an alien, but yeah. Um, and the alien itself, while, you know, I remember seeing in cinemas being freaked out, you know, if you watch the alien on Blu-ray, it, it doesn't quite no. hold up. So no. I mean, it's 2002. Um, but in its moment, it, it's still very effective, but you know, yes. it is very impactful. It's dramatic. And I, I still enjoy this reveal. Um, I, you know, I still think it's pretty cool, but not as powerful and scary. Yeah, exactly. As, and so, look, as I own signs on Blu-ray, I, I, yeah. I appreciate that I own it on Blu-ray and I will watch it again in a couple of years, maybe, but I, it is good. It is a good movie. It's just yeah. not great. And that's, and that's okay. Absolutely. Let's, let's take it. I don't want to say down a notch, but the next <laughs> film is sort of down a notch in some yeah. aspects, which is, was his follow-up to science with 2004's The Village which holds a 43% critic rating and a 57% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. He just likes getting weirder and weirder and weirder, Shyamalan, doesn't he, with his oh, stories? Because yeah. oh, this yeah. is a very, very absurdly abstract story. And I love the setup. I think this is a great concept of a town that we initially assume, as the twist will reveal later, it's not. Uh, a town in, you would guess, like the 18th century or the 19th century or something, a very yep. secluded Amish-esque sort of town, I guess you could sort of put it as, mm-hmm. who uh, all interact with each other very oddly. It's, it, the the dialogue between them all is very sort of stilted and unnatural, which, again, as the twist will reveal, sort of makes sense to what's going on. Uh, and the whole crux of it is that no one could leave this village because at night there are human-eating monsters out there that will attack at any any sound or any sight of the color red, uh, which is cool. Those it's we a don't cool speak concept. of. Those we don't speak of is what they call them, which I love. I, I think that's great yeah. as well. They couldn't even. They didn't want to come up with a name for the. They was like, we'll call them those we don't speak of, which that's I, I right. think it, it sort of adds into that sort of the mystique of. You know, why is it set in the, you know, set in the 18th or 19th century? But I was sort of praising the cast of signs before. This movie has yeah. a cast for that ages. Oh, yeah. This is insane. So Joaquin returns uh, yep. in this film. Then we also have uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, who's in it as well. Uh, I've had the cast list up before. I'm just getting it up now. <laughs> right. I know I've got me tabs everywhere. And then uh, Sigourney Dude, Adrian, Weaver, Adrian, Adrian Brody, Sigourney Adrian Weaver. Brody in it, William Hurt's in it, who's sort of the leader of this yep. of this village here, and and Sigourney Weaver is the mother of of Joaquin Phoenix. It's an in ridiculous cast. Even all the little bit roles, like Brendan Gleeson. Uh, I love when he popped up because I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of Brendan Gleeson in the film as well. Uh, Judy Greer is in it. Michael Pitt who's also he he's the guy who we see mostly in the watchtowers Joaquin Phoenix's friend uh who went on to do some of the same things the big one that I pulled that sort of I I only remember him from one of the last scenes of the film is that Jesse Eisenberg is in this movie yeah which was yeah. huge very young very young Jesse Eisenberg but before he tackled the social network and zombie land yeah yeah he, he's actually he became, top credited as well in huge. the credits at the beginning I yeah picked up on that so um, massive yeah. cast ridiculously huge cast and the thing too with the cast by this stage i don't know if you've ever discovered this this is just random things that i pick up yeah m night likes working with people twice yes bruce willis starred in six cents and unbreakable yeah 
Then you've got Joaquin Phoenix, who starred in Signs and The, the Village. Village. Yeah. But to top it off, Dallas Bryce Howard starred in The Village and Lady in the Lady Water. Lady in the Water. And there we can we go. keep going. James McAvoy, Split, Glass. You know, there's a bit of an unusual trend. Yeah. That has always, you know, well, it's, Bruce Willis it's is, very interesting. Bruce Willis, I guess, broke the mold with that because he popped up then in Glass. So he's done the trifecta That's right. now. So he's broken yeah. the mold. But you're right. Samuel L. Jackson, Unbreakable and, and Glass. Yeah. So you're interesting. Like, like at this point, you're like all these actors he's worked with have done two films with M. Night by now, which is very interesting. That is very interesting. I like it. Well, and look, he, he picks well because the cast of this movie is phenomenal and yeah. it's probably arguably the, the best bit of the film. I don't think anyone really turns in a bad performance. I guess you'd, I'd probably be remiss without saying, especially in, in today's, uh, we're a lot more of a, you know, correct climate is Adrian Brody's character who obviously plays someone who has a mental handicap probably wouldn't go down as well if it was made today um, yeah. because it seems, and, and M. Night, M. Night has come under scrutiny for this before is that he obviously puts a lot of research into anyone in his films who have any sort of mental illness or, or disease or disorder or anything like that because yeah. he obviously he deals with it in, like you were even talking about with Sixth Sense earlier, people with, the, with uh, post-traumatic stress uh, obviously yep. it's a big part of the the personality disorder aspect of split with James McAvoy's character. I I feel like M. Night was not malicious in any sense with Adrian Brody's character in this film, but there are moments where it does feel like a caricature, a caricature of someone who has uh, mm. mental disorder. And it's sort of, it, it's a, there's a pivotal point in the film where it pays off, like where, where it makes mm. sense that they, they took advantage of someone with this, with this mental dis, uh, disorder. But at the same time, it's like, it, it was 2004 is a different time. You sort of, you know, kind of take it with a grain of salt there, but I just don't, aside from Adrian Brody, I feel like everyone in this cast gives a pretty damn good performance with the script they're given. Yeah, look, the cast The cast is always fascinating. Like, I don't know about you, but Dallas Bryce Howard um, in this film, when I saw it in cinemas, I wasn't overly familiar who yep. she was. And the thing that always gets me when I first saw this film is, okay, Joaquin Phoenix is the lead character. This is the guy that's going to save the world. And this is the guy we're cheering on for. But, um, you know, forgive me if I'm jumping the gun here, but no, no, go for obviously it. this film, again, probably around the halfway mark, does a flip and Joaquin yep. is bedridden because he's been stabbed. And now we're following this, you know, person who's blind, um, Dallas Bryce Howard. And that's something that always surprised me is that, you know, the person you thought you were following for this yep. film is out of action. And I yep. think that's a big risk to, to give it to someone else who's a bit more of an unknown. She's blind. And a few other things happen here as well. Um, and of course it makes it even more frightening to what could occur next. But that was a very unpredictable moment watching this film for the first time. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think more so to that aspect is that they do they do well in building up a character because it feels like a, it's justified. It's not just like a random character who's come in halfway through the film. But she's blind. She can't see these monsters. She can't, you know, mm. there's there has been a there's been sightings of these monsters before. Joaquin confirms because he walks outside the barrier on one of his watches one night and sees sees the cloaked monster, which ultimately, mm. without taking away its uh, taking away its feeling of threat, looks like a giant echidna. 
with a yes. with a red cape on, uh, yeah. with you know demented monster hands. But uh, Joaquin sees one and, and sort of spreads the panic around, but also scares like I can I can get past these. Like I know I can do it. And then yeah. uh, Bryce Dallas Howard takes it upon herself then to to continue on Joaquin's mission, which again with that added element of her being blind is pretty hectic because all they want to do is get past these monsters to go and find medicine. They want to go to another town to find medicine. Yep. Uh, to help. Joaquin's injured. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's quite incredible that, that th- we see everything she sees and knowing mm. that she can't see it makes for a really great couple of scenes uh, in that third act of the film without a doubt. Yeah. It does. And the thing with the village is, you know, I know people are up and down about this movie. That's cool. Don't turn the podcast off. Keep listening. Just relax. <laughs> but I, I always, the thing that always fascinates me, it's very similar to signs with the creature aspect because we get glimpses once again. You know, whoever these creatures are, they're killing the dogs. There's certain yeah. dogs that get mutilated. But yeah. we see little inklings when Joaquin goes to the forest and he picks something he shouldn't. And we see this, you know, quick little yes. snap yeah. of what's going on. We're getting glimpses just like the aliens in signs. We're getting snippets. We're getting tension that's being built up until we see what this creature really is or what it really mm. looks like. Um, you know, so there's definitely that hype once again that M. Night's very well known for. Yeah. For me, for me, the village is sort of lesser the good, the things I loved about science and more the things I didn't like about science. It's very slow. It's mm-hmm. very, very dialogue driven, but not in an interesting sense. I don't, I don't find the characters as interesting in the village. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't emotionally connect with them or the story as much as I did with say the sixth sense or science. Um, but I appreciate how weird it is. And, and that's something I get a kick out of with movies. If I feel like if you can pull off something absurd and make it still interesting as a concept on, on film, mm-hmm. like you can get that translation from, from page to picture, I genuinely can, can get behind it. And I think this has some, again, great moments of tension, phenomenal moments of tension, some really, really weird stuff. I think more so the scene with where the monster first comes into the village uh, and we get the slow motion scene of Joaquin running towards Bryce Dallas house or running towards the house. Sorry. Yes. And they grab hands in slow motion and get through the house and then slowly down into that basement where everyone's hiding is really, really well made. Like that is a, cinematically, that is a cool scene. It's, it's very powerful. Once again, shout out to James, you know, Newton Howard again, did the score for this film. Um, you know, the music score is great. And, you know, that scene's also, like, that's a powerful moment. But the thing with this film, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. you know, this is M. Night given a crack at the romance genre or a love yes, story. Yeah. So this is a love story, a thriller. Um, the chemistry between Joaquin Phoenix and Bryce Dallas Howard is a little odd. Um, you know, they're sitting down and Joaquin just tells her, hey, you run like a boy. I just thought you should know. Like, wow, yeah. that's a way to charm a lady. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they, they do work. And my, my favorite scene, it's not a scare. It's when they sit down on the porch together and M. Night does this really wonderful shot where, you know, we don't see the front of them we see the back of them and their heads are turned to the side and we can see it's cold and there's fog coming out and you know he reveals to her that you know i don't scare i'm not afraid of anything other than losing you um 
you know, and she's crying. And that's a very touching moment. Yeah. The music kicks in. That gives me goosebumps every time I watch this movie. So M. Night introduces romance. And that also took me by surprise to throw that in the mix. And again, yeah. didn't predict it. No one thought this would be a romance film yeah. based on his previous work once again. Yeah, and that's it. And I guess, yeah, based on his previous work and also based on how the film was marketed, Again, it yeah. sort of falls victim to that as well. The The poster is very horror-esque. The initial concept is very horror-esque as well. So I feel like I can't blame people for thinking that it was going mm. to be more creepy and thriller-based than it was. Uh, yep. But at the same time, he does those characters reasonably well. Like I said, they're not the most, they're, for me, they're not the most interesting out of the ones he's done, but he at yep. least puts a lot of passion and care into them to, to that point of where he obviously wants to tell this story and, and in his own way, tells it incredibly well. And again, it's, it's, it's him being patient with that storytelling patient with that, that's uh, those characters building up throughout. And, and look, he, he enjoys making those films it's just unfortunate that sometimes it just doesn't work as well, even with the, you know, curbing your expectations on what the, the premise is going to be. It just, I don't feel like works as well with this one, even with the performances being as good as they are. Yeah. Another look, mo- oh yeah, go for it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to no, say, no, I'm no. in the same boat. So looking at how I've reviewed these films again, this one's a little bit less, um, yep. you know, it's his fourth film. So naturally it's his fourth lowest score. So he generally hit high and then every film that came out just goes that little bit lower, 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 lower. And yeah, the village sure. is once again, just like that. Um, but yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, mate, you're a good, you're a good. All I, all I wanted to bring up was a, another great scene of tension, which was yeah. uh, once Bryce Dallas Howard gets into the forest or into the mm. woods and there's a fantastic one-take shot uh, of the monster stalking her and sort of going around the trees and whatnot. And it then attacks her, and she's she's running away, and she becomes familiar with the, the fallen tree, and she, mm-hmm. she feels for it, and she understands, and she knows that there's a hole in there because she has fallen into that hole previously. So as she's being stalked by the monster, she's able to turn around and have the monster fall in, which then shows us that they're not actually monsters, but there yes. have been people in the suits, people from the village in the suits, <laughs> namely in this case, it's Adrian Brody's character who then you kind of feel like has been uh, manipulated by the elders of this, this community and to be the monster because, you know, he won't, he won't blab out a secret or anything like that. He's, you know, no one really believes what he says because of, because of his uh, handicap. So you kind of it's kind of a shocking shocking scene, and then continuing on from that is more revealed that well William Hurt's character is then a bit more honest and goes you know it's true we are we are trying to keep this community together and safe we don't want them these people exposed to the outside world because of how corrupt and greedy it is which is then ironic because we find out more about how corrupt and greedy he was as a person and had to and leave everything behind because of, of things that he'd done in his, his real world life and start that community there. So that's a very interesting aspect of the film. Did you like the twist? That's my question. Did you like this twist or did you go, ah, boring, lame, disappointed? I, I, I think in the hierarchy of twists, I would consider it lame. I would be like, right. oh, I like the idea of, <laughs> the monsters are people and that mm. this community is, is being forced into this thing. But I just didn't, I was just like, Oh, but I don't really care why. 
And I think it yep. just, for me, sort of falls a bit flat. How about yourself? I Look, it's definitely not his strongest twist and his strongest reveals. I think the problem is, and we shouldn't be doing this, but I had so many questions. Yeah. Like, what happens when the elders get old and pass away and there is no more right. people dressing up? Who is actually fit enough to pretend to be a monster? Is it Sigourney Weaver running around the bush? <laughs> um, you know, so many questions. I thought when I first watched this film, because when Dallas Bryce Howard climbs over this big cement wall fence and lands on the road and there's a security guard, I thought to myself they might be in some sort of a, an insane asylum or something. Yes. And I thought, yeah. hey, that could be a good twist. That that would be brilliant if these yeah. guys are just all mental or crazy and have issues. But no, it's completely off the track. But, no. um, you know, it's still got some positive elements to it. But I, I, I was disappointed that it revealed something like, hey, we are the creatures. But then yeah. hang on, we have a creature in the forest but you just told me that you guys were the creatures and then who the hell's this? Oh, it's that. And so you're kind of going back and forth. And by this point, I think some of the audiences felt like they're getting mucked around just that yeah. little bit and it didn't have the same impact. Um, I still enjoy many elements of this movie, but I can't deny its twist is a little weaker. Um, yes, and we yeah. get another cool M night cameo reflecting yes. in the glass as he's playing one of the security guards around the yeah. premise as well. That's it. And, and that's, and for me, the twist on the twist is sort of where I kind of went, oh, okay. I was like, oh, the people and the monsters, all right, that's that's okay. Oh, and it's set in the present day. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, yeah. no one's found these people before. Like how long they've been right. out in these woods. Uh, and I'm usually the first person to sort of suspend all, you know, disbelief and belief and whatnot for, for movie's sake. I'm, I'm always happy to go along with movie logic for this. This time it just didn't hit me. Hit me right. And then, yes, M. Knight's little cameo at the end uh, as the other security guard steals some supplies for her to go back. And then she goes back. That's the end of the movie. She goes back yeah. and, and knows the secret and sort of uh, goes back to be with Joaquin. And, and, and I'm assuming they aid him back to health. At the yeah, end of that well, film. Thanks to Adrian Brody, the, the lies continue as the elders That's say it. at the very end. That's yeah, it. Thanks to his death, we can keep this as a secret. And yep. Dallas Bryce Howard thinks it's real now that she's experienced it. Yep. But um, yeah, I mean, look, you and I couldn't live in this village, Nick, because we, no. we wouldn't be able to watch movies, mate. There's no call. movies there. I, I don't know, know what no, I do. Cinema. Yeah, I'm not going to churn butter all day. <laughs> I can't do that stuff. I, I'm yeah. not made for manual labor. Uh, no, no, no way. Not so, yeah, yeah, that's it. And that's The Village. Moving on yeah. to the fourth and final film for this episode was The Resurgence for me. This, this for me, mm. was M. Night's sort of comeback. It was after Lady in the Water. It was after The Last Airbender. It was after, after Earth. Yeah. 2015's The Visit, currently holding mm. a 68% critical score and a 51% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes a found footage horror film about two teenagers who go and stay with the grandparents they've never met before. And the grandparents start doing some real, real weird shit. Uh, and you start getting creeped out and you start wondering, wait a second, what is the deal with these grandparents? Now this sort of came out for me in initially when I saw the trailer, I was like, well, paranormal activity already came out seven years ago. And then Blair Witch came out. 20 yep. years ago, almost before that, or about 15 years before that. Is, is found footage still a viable sort of way to tell your story or is it just a gimmick now? And I'll, I'll say this, I didn't expect Shyamalan to do it, but I yeah. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this movie and I think he did found footage quite well. 
Well, the thing for this film, you know, I don't know what bits and pieces are hundred percent. So don't don't hold yeah. me to it. Don't write it down. But oh, from what I can recall, M Night was getting sick and tired of having um, studios being involved in his films, which were, you know, obviously after Earth, he had studio involvement. Yeah. He, you know, obviously got mucked around a little bit on the last Airbender. Yeah. Um, so this was the film where M Night said, "Look, I'm doing it my way. I'm doing my film. I'm doing yeah. my script. No involvement." And if I remember correctly, see, this is when you need Peter Gray on the podcast for my <laughs> shout out, Peter Gray. Um, I, I, from memory, I think this is the film where M Night even mortgaged his own home, if I remember correctly, yeah, to right. get back on his feet. Um, because those previous films cost him some serious coin, but this was the leap of faith, if I remember correctly, where he was going out on his own, he was making a cheaper film. And yep. the cool thing with found footage, I mean, most people are aware how much Blair Witch cost and how much paranormal activity cost. Yeah. You know, a found footage movie is a great way to make a cheap horror movie. But yes. I think I think what's really good about The Visit is the plot. Um, he, once again, has written a film that, you know, is relatable. Most people have had grandparents. Most people are aware that grandparents, if you're young, can be creepy. And I'll just yep. say it, grandparents, sometimes you smell funny and sometimes you do <laughs> things that freak people out. Um, it's legit. And so M. Yeah. Knight has taken this concept of how people view grandparents and turned it into a horror movie. Um, again, what movie has made a horror movie about your grandparents? Um, no, that's it. I can't think of one. Can you? No, no, not, not from <laughs> memory anyway, because that's sort of... The whole thing is that is that you usually find grandparents to be a safety net. They're always the ones who mm. treated you well when you were a kid. Like they always buy you the the yummy treats when you went out. They're spoiling yep. the heck out of you. So why would they all of a sudden start turning on the children and start saying weird things like, "Can you get into the oven so you can clean it?" Or well, you walk right. in on your granddad with his his mouth around a shotgun. Like there is some Ooh. very hectic stuff in Man. this movie. Yeah. Uh, that is great. And the found footage, I guess, I guess to an extent, it's not really a found footage film because it's ultimately a documentary that the, uh, Olivia de Jong's character is, mm. uh, is creating. And she wants to do a, a movie for her mum. Uh, Becca is her character's name. Uh, she wants to do a movie for her mum about the grandparents who she hasn't seen in a long time. Mm. Uh, and she, she does it through the medium of, of making this film with her brother, Tyler, uh, Ed Oxenbold, both Australians, which I love. Yes. Two two young Aussies in there, and both really great. Olivia De Jong's fan, fantastic in this movie. She is so yeah. good. Ed yeah. Oxenbold is the the great comedic relief. I think I think a yeah. lot of people initially thought he was quite cringy. I think that's on purpose. He's at that awkward age in the film where you're trying to find your identity and try and do new things, and everything you say can be a bit cringy and and yeah. sort of tacky at the time because you don't really, you know, you don't have a I filter think, at that age either. Yeah, look, I can sort of relate to that kid because, like, I watched the movie and I thought, gee, he's up, kid, you know. But when I was his age. Um, I'd be quiet. And as soon as there's a camera, oh, look at me, check me out. I'm over here. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So I can relate. Yeah. yeah, I can relate to that personality of someone just singing and showing off, check me out. Um, and that's that's what's good about the two siblings is they're quite different. One's a little bit quieter, one's a loud mouth. Totally get it. Um, it may not have gelled with a lot of audiences, but I, yeah. I found it very understanding. Yeah. And, um, you know, I loved all the little, you know, creepy things that are going on with grandma and granddad. Once again, 
Um, I'm saying it a lot on this podcast, but we're getting snippets of creepy things. Yes. Um, you know, even grandma crawling underneath the house. Oh, oh that hide and seek scene me. is crazy scary. That is. Yeah. Because this is, this has most, probably the most jump scares in a Shyamalan mm. film. Like this one's a genuinely, this one I would safe to say is a horror film. Like this is the most horror of his movies. Um yeah. And that scene under the house is creepy. And the way she crawls too, it has this almost sort of demonic presence to it. Like it's very mm. unnatural. It's very, I, she doesn't seem like an old lady doing it. Uh, but I love that scene. That is an awesome, that's, awesome absolutely. scene. It's, look, it's a great way to make this film because you've got, you know, as far as the cast is concerned, you've got the mother, two siblings, yeah. a grandma and a granddad, one house location. Yeah. You know, it, M. Knight has, has made this very, very clever film. Um, and, and, you know, and he is pushing the boundaries in this one just that little bit more. Um, yes, even just yeah. having grandpa putting the shotgun around his mouth. Um, you know, this might sound a little bit rude to share on the podcast, but you know, Grandpa wearing nappies and his red yes, shoes with his um, inconsonance. Yes, yeah, yeah, and 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 the scene getting closer to the end where Grandpa oh, jams this nappy that's loaded into the kid's face. Yeah, um, who's I a germaphobe? That the going, kid's a germaphobe. It's like, oh my god, it just happened, Ugh. and that always gets me. And it's so, so that's, that's gross. Like pushing the boundaries of watch what I'll do on my own when I yes. make a movie my way. And um, I felt it. And, you know, and I mean, there's a twist in this one. Once again, how did you find the twist? Uh, I I remember seeing it coming when I was at the yeah, cinema, same. but I didn't, I didn't hate the fact that I saw this one coming because I was already so intrigued by what was happening and how it was going to be resolved more than anything. Yep. Um, yep. And then obviously the twist in this one is that uh, throughout the film, they, they Skype to their mum, who's played by Catherine Hahn, who I will just mm-hmm. add before going on to the twist the scene where she is saying goodbye to them on the train and then running with the train and is smiling and laughing, being silly. And then so quickly turns into tears is the most parent thing. I think mm. like she does that very, very well. Like the idea is like letting it, letting her, her little, you know, little birds fly the coop and, and go on their own adventure. And, and I think Catherine Hahn does a lot. And I love her scenes. I think she's really great yeah, uh, throughout the film. And then the twist is they're talking to her on the Skype call and they're like, come, come look at what they're doing, mum. They're doing some weird stuff. And mm. then the, he, M. Night milks this moment so much. He milks it to the umpteenth degree because they're, the kids are talking and then the mum keeps going, guys, just listen to me. Listen to me. Guys, listen, listen. And it, it, for me, it felt like it went on for an eternity. And then she obviously mm. reveals like, those aren't your grandparents. And then you kind of go, oh my God. Again, to what you were saying about the other films before, I think it happens after, just after the halfway point because there is still a good portion of this movie that is the, the end of this movie after that reveal. There's probably a good 35, 40 minutes in a movie that's only 90 minutes long. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the twist for me is quite predictable because I, I watched this movie in cinemas because um, yep. I'm old. I've seen majority of these in cinemas. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was one of those things where I said to myself, you know, well, mum hasn't hasn't identified the grandparents. And I'm not saying she's a bad mum, but I mean, you know, I, I just think there's that element of just making sure the kids got their safe and kind of yeah. talk to your mum and dad while yeah. you're there, you know, and that never happened. So I thought it's a bit sus, but still very enjoyable. But yeah, I mean, you know, talking about, I'm sort of going back to what I was talking about, but grandma naked scratching on the door. Oh my what? gosh. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> 
there's well, you know, just, uh, you're kind of wondering you're kind of wondering if that's really your grandma or not when you see yeah. your grandma nude scratching on the door uh i ain't seen my grandma nude and that would definitely nah. make me start questioning some things and she's my grandma's probably not even doing weird stuff and if i ran into her nude <laughs> that'd be scarier than the visit probably to be honest yeah, the, but the, that's the, that's it yeah, and there's a lot of good scenes that occur at night. And it seems yeah. like this movie, you know, when it's night, that's when the really weird stuff happens and it's very well done. But well, yeah, the twist isn't as powerful, but still a great journey for the characters. That's um, it for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a it's, great it's, impactful moment at the end too. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, well, I definitely want to talk about that, that sort of last five, yeah. ten minutes of the movie for sure. But uh yeah. and that's and that's the thing, like all the weird stuff happens at night because you end up finding out what they're doing or what they say they're doing is called sundowning, which, yeah. <laughs> which I was like, oh, so like, it's like a werewolf sort of thing. Like when the moon comes out, they start doing all their, their weird stuff. But there is some creepy, creepy moments, obviously like, yeah, like I said, grandma, grandma mm. uh, walking around and butt naked doing weird stuff. Oh. The biggest jump scare of the damn movie and the one you can see coming from a mile away is when they set up the camera in the living room for the Mm -hmm. night and Mm -hmm. grandma's walking around, walking around, walking around, and then she's gone. And she's gone for a long time and it is just Mm -hmm. a blank blank picture of the the living room. And then she jumps up from the bottom of the frame and screams right into the camera. And I hate those jump scares. I hate them with a passion because they get me every time. I remember crapping myself in the cinema watching that yeah it cool, got me good the cool thing with these actors that play the grandparents i, I apologize on the podcast i don't remember their um, names but yeah you know these are actors that play cute innocent grandpa and granddad like a yep. typical grandpa and granddad yeah and then they go you know full 360 on <laughs> being just downright <laughs> horror characters um <laughs> you're right nick when that grandma sticks her head up and goes yeah like Whoa, dude! Like that's a so different they, person. They, hey, yeah. Well, their performances <laughs> were were tremendous. I mean, what they do in this movie is is pretty dark and pretty messed hmm. up. And um, yeah, like that that also freaked me out in the cinemas, man. I'm I'm with you on that moment. Like that and Grandma scratching the door naked always gets me, man. It's, always. It's so damn creepy. And I lo- I do love I do love the comedic bit as well with the grandma scratching the door naked when. He realizes he's just seen his grandma naked as well. Totally, that's, that's scarier to him than than the actual idea of her scratching on the door. But uh, absolutely, this, this movie is a mixture though because it is very creepy and very scary with all of those scenes. Yeah, but it's also kind of really funny. Like I, mm. I found myself laughing, enjoyably laughing at a lot of yeah. this film. A I, lot of it, I agree. A lot of it is the younger brother just being an annoying younger brother, his rapping career is hilarious. Every rap he does is great. And the one where he's flexing, the camera's set up and he's flexing his muscles on camera, like a little prepubescent boy with no muscle mass yet. Like puberty is still so far away for him. And he's standing there flexing, talking about getting all the honeys of the babes. And it was great. I do agree that this is the horror movie that is made to make you laugh. You know, you you watch this movie 
you know, with a group of friends and you just yeah, rip yourself 100%. watching it with popcorn. Um, other movies that are a lot more scary and it's designed to put fear in you, but M. Night definitely made more of a comedic horror film. Um, yeah. I have watched this movie where I've invited people over, yeah. you know, and you say to them, have you seen The Visit? And they go, no. And I'm that guy that puts it on, cranks the surround sound and just watch their reaction. Yes. And yeah, you're yeah. All laughing. And I remember watching this movie with my wife. And again, we were just laughing, you know, grandma crawling around and the weird thing that go on you just can't help but to be shocked but yes. man i'm laughing at the same time and that was also a nice thing that m night whether he did it on purpose or not i don't know i'd yeah. like to think he did but it was a nice touch for a new film it really was it, and it felt yeah. it felt like something different for m night as well and i think i was just reading before that he took his director's fee from after earth to help fund this and then of yes. course he worked with now horror icon producer jason bloom from Blumhouse, who you know who now are quite famous for their their uh business method of super low budget horror films that make a a 10 times its budget back even if the movie only makes 10 million dollars it's on a 1 million dollar budget it's made a lot of money uh, for that exactly and so he he was also behind uh, this movie with with m night as well so it was kind of nice to see and then blumhouse is also very famous as well for giving a lot of uh, creative control to their their filmmakers so it's nice mm. to see that m night was like i'm gonna just make something different i'm just going to yeah. i want to make something that's not like anything i've made before but still has that m night feel which it does the dialogue is very m night it still has a big focus on family because it's obviously a, a, more than anything a bonding story between the brother and sister uh mm. and then uh, the sister becca's whole character arc is to try and reconciliate uh, or yep. reconnect, sorry, her mum with the grandparents. Um, yep. But, and doing it in a found footage or a documentary aspect is great because it feels different even from other found footage films like Paranormal Activity series and things like that. But mm. let's let's talk about the last five, 10 minutes of this film because yes. it is manic. It is scary yeah. as hell. We've yeah. got two separate locations. We've got, we got Becca in the bedroom with her grandma, doing weird things and the only light is the light on her camera so you're bound to get jump scares there but then grandma's Mm. doing all these weird things like hiding under the blanket and then standing up and then going back under the bed and then we get the really creepy shot of the as she's like shaking on the camera it'll turn a bit and the grandma's closer and closer in the mirror and stuff like that always creepy but then we get the scene you talked about uh, just before is uh, the germaphobe brother, Tyler, gets granddad's incontinent snappy rubbed into his face, which I was like you. When I saw it in the cinema, I was like, surely he's not going to, oh, he did it. What the hell is going on? It It was disgusting. It's really, it's cooked. It is disgusting, but it's great because in a normal studio movie, I reckon they would have been like, no, that's too gross. And then M. Night's like, I'm going to do it. And it pays off well, because then we get the even more so payoff, which is possibly the most violent moment in the film, where Tyler tackles his granddad to the ground and does does his foot, because he's always been teased for about his size, which is, again, why he's Mm. flexing the mirror, trying to get big. And he does his, uh, I think he recites what his football coach was, was yelling at him one day. And he's talking himself up like he's overcome his fear. He's very angry. And then he assumedly bashes his granddad's head in with the fridge door, which you see yeah. off camera, but you 
definitely hear it. Still uh, very brutal. Very. It's, I like the way that shot's composed, like how you yes. can see him holding the fridge, but the bench is in the way. You also see Becca's reaction, who's just shocked. But it's a great moment in the film of like, oh, no, this is ultimately the real consequence of a film that's quite absurd. And that that's mm. a shocking last 10 minutes of the film, which also... It, it is brutal. It's insanely brutal. But it also births, I think, the best comedically timed, but also only thing you would say in this moment... <laughs> As a PG-13 movie, it was the best use of the F word. To chuck that in there at that point, it was fantastically used. Give it it to the kid. Give it to the kid to say and and be like, yeah, like I get it, dude. Like I hope there's no more crazy people in this house for you as well. His delivery of it's perfect. You earned it. (laughs) He he earned he earned the one PG-13 F bomb you can go with on that. But uh, an insane final ten minutes. Then again, that is a nice, nice moment at the end. The mum finally makes it with the police uh, and they mm-hmm. get to reunite in the police car. And then we get the really touching moment with the, the end of the documentary with yeah. uh, Becca and, and her mum, with Catherine Hahn's character coming together at the end and sort of having mm-hmm. their, their mother-daughter moment. Uh, and then when, when, when it's all over and everyone's, you know, happy, we get a nice little end credits scene with Tyler doing his rap, which earlier in the film says, I would love to finish like your end of your documentary should be me rapping. And then we that's get right. that. We get yeah, that. that's right. And that, that monologue done by Catherine Hind, like again, oh. it's very interesting how M Knight does this because he does this really tense dramatic scene with the grandparents and the kids, but then he, he sort of says, all right, all right, let's bring it back down and yeah. I want to make this movie serious. And then Catherine Hahn's monologue really is the message of the entire film. It's the, yes. you know, if M. Night wants to sneak in a positive message, it's just Catherine Hahn looking at the camera. And I don't know about you, man, but when I saw this in movies, I'm pretty yeah. sure one or two tears came out of my eyes. My wife was yeah. the same. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, I can't believe that after everything I've just been through, um, and here's this beautiful touching moment at the end and then next thing you know we're laughing because the kid's doing his rap and it's silly and and then we're suddenly a bit more lighthearted again so yeah you know talking about a film that really takes you on a roller coaster ride uh the visit um you know it it, from m night's perspective it feels more of an apology to its audiences where he has said look i've made some choices in films i realize now that you don't like that or that i made wrong choices I'm trying to listen to my audiences that love more horror and bring it down to earth. But he still manages to put heartfelt messages, shock yeah. factor, and all of these great ingredients. So it was definitely a pickup for his career, no doubt about it. That, and that's exactly right where I feel like, for me, this was the start of his resurgence to an extent because yeah. then he obviously followed up with Split, which oh, was so incredibly cool. well critically received. Um, so, and I, I did, for, for anyone who does want to know, I did purposely leave that out of this episode because I feel like it's more so, it's definitely in that horror thriller vibe, but I feel like I, you have to talk about Unbreakable and Glass with that. Maybe it's, maybe it's its own future episode if M. Night releases another movie after all. Yeah, but um, 
So we'll definitely have to do that. And then obviously then with uh, Glass, which was divisive again, but for the most part, pretty strong and, mm-hmm. and where and what he's doing now. So that was M. Night Shyamalan's uh, selected filmography, my selected filmography <laughs> on him. Uh, I definitely think his his track record makes me cautiously optimistic for old. What, what are your thoughts mm. as we wrap up? Uh, what are your thoughts going into old? What are you expecting? Are you excited for it? I'm very, I'm very, very excited. I've seen the film trailers just like yourself and what I'm seeing so far, I do generally like. It's yep. very mysterious. It looks very twisty. It looks very creepy once again. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, there's that theme of old. I don't know what that theme's all about, but, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, based on the trailers, there's enough there that I'm very, very curious. Uh, I just hope it delivers. It doesn't need to have a twist, but I, I really hope that we get some creeps and some horror elements, but I oh, mean, I'm there. I mean, as soon as I can see this movie, um, you know, I can't wait to see it. I am a massive M night fan, as you know, yep. and I, I love what I'm seeing so far. The promotional and, and marketing material for old looks very, very promising. And I just hope it sticks to it. I hope so too. I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's been aspects yeah. of the trailers that I've liked. And there's been aspects where I'm a bit like on the fence, mm. Um, mm. but that's it's that well, I feel like once I've once the movie starts and once I'm watching it and I'm in that sort of M night mode, I guess you yeah. can say for lack of a better word, I think I'll, I will be a lot more receptive of it when I, when I'm actually sitting down and, and watching it. But absolutely, I wouldn't have done this episode if I wasn't kind of keen for it. You know, what yeah. I mean? like this is the Same. out of everything that came out in July, there was definitely some other movies I could have picked. And I was like, no, nah, I want to do M night because <laughs> I am keen. I'm very, very keen for old. Yep. Peter, dude, thank you so much for coming on, man. I had a blast. This is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for sitting through these these films as well. <laughs> for anyone who's listening who uh, isn't following, where is the best places to find you uh, online? So Walkden Entertainment, which is spelled W-A-L-K-D-E-N, Entertainment, is available with its own website, which is www.walkedinentertainment.com. Walkden Entertainment is also available on Letterboxd, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, I do have my own podcast, but it's nowhere near as good as what you're Uh, hearing from Nick. But I do have my own podcast (laughs) where I do spoiler-free movie reviews. And if you'd like to talk about anything relating to film, I am definitely all ears. I'll definitely be coming on uh, to your podcast one day, babe. We're going to have to talk about something on there for sure. But again, mate, thank you so much for coming on. I genuinely appreciate it. I'll, I'll leave all the links in the show notes as well. Uh, if you do choose to uh, give us all a follow for those who have been playing along uh, with the monthly movie marathon and want to know what's coming up next very quickly. Once this episode comes out, in fact, two weeks, no, sorry. I lie. One week after this episode comes out, you wow. have a week to watch the filmography of James Gunn leading up to the suicide squad. So the movies I'll be watching for that episode of the monthly movie marathon will be slither super and guardians of the galaxy one and two uh and for that episode i'll be joined by my friend alistair leith who is the chief editor-in-chief of nova stream network movies and streaming australia and uh owner and host of the lethal reviews youtube channel so make sure you watch those films in the lead up for that podcast uh thank you for listening make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on uh and we'll see you on the next episode of the monthly movie marathon